Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, wonderful to be with you through the camera today. Uh, I wanted to start this uh, morning by just uh, giving a word of thanks. And I wanted to give a word of thanks to you, the congregation, the members of our church, who are continually showing love to one another, meeting with one another, and calling one another, uh, showing uh, acts of good deeds, and uh, we're just so it's so wonderful to watch and see how the church is loving one another, and, and reaching out and making sure that everybody is checked in on uh, at this time. Uh, so thank you. Keep on keeping on in your love for one another. The other thing I wanted to say is a word of thanks to Pastor Matt and his family, his wife Angela, and his whole family, as for the last six weeks or so, maybe more, uh, they have been providing services and uh, sermons and preaching, and uh, the list goes on from their home. And uh, this week, now I'm getting a taste of it, and it's, uh, it's no easy uh, peasy kind of thing. So uh, we just want to give thanks for them, and especially for Pastor Matt, how he is uh, the leader among leaders at our church, and how he has stepped up and has led us well at this time where uh, no one uh, was expecting this, and uh, he is really uh, showing us uh, how to walk with the Lord and lead well at this time. Stories of loss, grief, and pain are stories we can all relate to right now. Ever since COVID-19 started spreading throughout this world, humanity has been experiencing extraordinary grief, groaning, loss, and pain. Some are losing loved ones, some are losing jobs, and some are even losing their own health and lives. Life as we once knew it seems to be falling apart right before our own eyes. And to make matters worse, some are going to bed feeling lonely and isolated, which just presses on our pain even more. Is there anything permanent we can grab a hold of in these times of uncertainty? Or, better yet, is there anyone who can hold us close personally, when our life is crumbling. Today we'll meet a man named Job, and we'll watch as his wonderful life crumbles to the ground before his very eyes. He had fame, he had fortune, and he had a beautiful family, and then he lost it all right out of the palm of his hands, not of his own doing. This book is so real, it's hard to watch. But as we watch Job, we would do well to remind ourselves that in some ways we are just like him. As Jonathan Edwards says, the story of Job is the story of all of us. Every one of us will lose everything. One day we will say good, our goodbyes to our things, our family, and our health. And though it may not happen all at once, it will happen. And we need to meet Job to watch and learn what matters most in life when we experience these losses, griefs, and pains. Job will show us that friendship with the personal God of the Bible is more precious and permanent than anything else in the world. 
Job teaches us what genuine friendship with God is all about. Today we'll see that genuine friendship with God is proven through tests of all kinds. And though life can be painful and sore at times, having the three-person God as our best friend gives us the staying power to go through tests of all kinds. So as we finish our series called Heavenly King, Earthly Crisis, we'll be looking at chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Job. So feel free to grab your Bible and join me there. But first, let's pray, and then we'll look at this text and meet this man. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Job. Thank you for the way that you are working in our world even now. And we thank you for drawing near to us through your word, by your spirit. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Give us the heart that desires to obey and desires to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's meet Job and learn what it looks like to be a friend of God. Job is a friend of God. Look at verses 1 through 5. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each, uh, of each one of, on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their, coast, uh, their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said that it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. In this small passage, we meet Job. He really was a friend of God. And in verse 1, we see his friendship summed up in four qualities. These are good testing grounds for you and me as well. They show us how to keep in touch with God as our friend. And they may also cause us to question whether or not we are his friends right now. So as we go through these qualities, please, I ask, resist the temptation to think abstractly and impersonally. Christianity is about the real God interacting with real people. So think of yourself, not your neighbor. You. Are you a friend of God? Do you want to be? What does it look like to be a friend of God, you ask? Well, in verse 1, we see the first quality is that Job, the friend of God, was blameless. This is the quality, blameless. It does not mean sinless, because Job, like us, inherited his sin nature from Adam. But it refers to someone who is authentic or genuine. What you see is what you get with him. Not perfect, 
but real, blameless. Is that true of you? The second quality we see is that he was upright. It's the word used in Proverbs 21 verse 8, which contrasts crooked conduct with upright conduct. It says in Proverbs 21 verse 8, The way of a guilty man is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. If blameless focused on Job's inner integrity, this is more focused on his interpersonal integrity, upright. The word upright shows that he was not crooked in his dealings with people. He didn't play slick games with others. Job was the real deal, and you could tell by the way he treated people. Could the same be said of you? Are you a friend of God? Do you want to be? The third quality of a friend of God is fear of God. One commentator calls the fear of God that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. He knew God was watching, and he lived in such a way as to please his watching God. Do we? Testing one, two, three. These qualities are searching us, aren't they? Well, the fourth quality of a friend of God is to turn away from evil. Job was continually repenting. Are we? Is our heart in a habit of turning and running away from sin, or are we getting cozy with it? May our love for Jesus and the power of his resurrection enable us to habitually turn away from evil, even as Job did. And as we see in verse 5, Job wasn't only concerned with his own repentance. He was also concerned for his children. He would continually bring offerings to God in the morning because he supposed, as verse 5 says, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He was concerned for the spiritual well-being of his children. This was many years before the cross of Christ, and he would bring an offering to God with a sacrifice. He brought a sacrifice to intercede for his kids so they would thrive spiritually. But today, we look back at the sacrifice of Jesus, who was, as Hebrews 9.28 says, sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We today have access to God the Father through faith in Jesus. At any time and at any place, we can intercede for others. We can call on God to change their hearts. How often are we praying that our children would thrive spiritually? I know many of you are. And may God's kindness lead our kids to repentance. So that they too would be friends of God. Verse 3 says that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He was famous. Job had livestock. He had a farm. He had a big family that was living in harmony. And he was a friend of God. It almost sounds like life couldn't get any better for Job, doesn't it? By all accounts of earthly success, Job had it. 
Ironically, however, the successes that matter most shine through when it's all stripped away from it. Let's move now to the plot twist in this story, where we overhear a conversation between God and Satan. Let's listen to this. It's the hidden conversation number one. Verse 6 through 12 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now remember, Job didn't hear this conversation between God and Satan. Now, Satan is God's opponent and enemy. But don't mistake this, this is not equal powers duking it out here. God is the Lord and maker of all things, and Satan has a job to do. Though he is a rebel and opponent of God, even he is under the power of the Almighty. Commenting on verses 7 through 8, Christopher Ashe says, Satan's job as God's submissive opposition is to search men and women to see if there is anyone who is genuinely godly and pious. It's as though Satan's job is to pat down believers to see where their weaknesses are and to see if they're genuine. Which is why God actually suggests Job in verse 8. He echoes verse 1. He knew Job was the real deal, a real friend of God. And because of that, he suggests that Satan go to work on Job. Did you catch that? God sent Satan at Job because he was a genuine believer, a friend of God. Not in spite of it. It comes with the territory. So you want to be a friend of God? Well, understand the cost. Friends of God will endure troubles of many kinds. Because we love God. But the benefits outweigh the drawbacks by far. It's like my mom used to say, sometimes people just won't like your face. It's true. Sometimes people just don't like us. And when we believe in Jesus, we enter into friendship with God. And now we've got many new friends, including God himself, but we've also got many new enemies. Because... We're friends of God. And one of those enemies who doesn't like us is Satan himself. He is against God and his people. But his attacks are tests 
for our friendship with God to be, tr to be proven true. Are you a friend of God? Are you being attacked right now? Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. Your faith may be tested, but not so it can fail, but so that it can be proven genuine. So here's the scene in verses 6 through 12. Satan and God are talking together, and God asks Satan. Here's my paraphrase. Hey, Satan, where have you been? Satan says, oh, you know, just wandering around the world. Again, remember Christopher Ashe says his job is to search men and women to see if anyone is genuinely godly. So he's searching around the world to do that. So the Lord after that says, uh, oh, uh, have you thought about my servant Job? He's a friend of mine. Satan replies, well, I know he's your friend, but listen, he's only your friend because of what you give him. Of course he thanks you, but that's only because he's sheltered and comfortable. But then Satan says, however, I'll show you something. If you take away all that he has, he'll turn on you and curse you to your face. And then God says, okay, we'll see. I know what's in Job's heart. Have at it. Everything he has is in your hands. Do whatever you want with the things he holds dear. But don't touch him. And that's the end of the hidden conversation in the presence of God. All this happened without Job knowing it or approving of it. God didn't ask Job for permission and he didn't give him a warning. He didn't ask him if he was ready for the attacks. He actually just brings his name forward to Satan almost to say, let my friend and our friendship be tested and proven. And then we see what happens next. All hell breaks loose. And here is how the friendship is tested. By a loss of wealth and family. Look at verses 13 through 19. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet Speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine how Job is feeling right now? American football is a violent and dangerous sport. And one of the dangers is what's called being ear or blindsided. 
Being blindsided is when you're running down the field and someone you don't see tackles you from the side and you drop to the ground with nothing to brace your fall. The reason this hit is so devastating is because you get hit without knowing it and when it comes, you don't even have time to think about a safe landing. You just feel the pain. There are times in life that we're blindsided with nothing to brace our fall. Betrayal, pain, breakups, the death of loved ones, loss of jobs, and bankruptcy can blindside us. We don't even see them coming, but we feel the pain. It leaves us confused and at a loss for words. We've all been blindsided to some extent, haven't we? But can you imagine how Job felt on this day? Job was really blindsided. Everything he had from his beautiful family to his livestock to his hired help was burned up and taken away from him all at once. And how did Job respond? How would you respond? How do you respond to life's discomforts and miseries? Well, the God who befriended Job also empowered him to grieve in a way that pleased and honored him. He lamented while he praised. And if you're a friend of God, His Spirit is willing to empower you to do the same when you suffer loss. You can grieve in a way that honors God. Look at Job's friendship as it is proven in verses 20 to 22. Here is God-centered grief. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. In Job 13 uh, verse 15, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Here we see what that looks like, don't we? After losing everything he once held dear, he praised God with his broken heart and empty hands. He tore his robe and shaved his head, which was the custom of mourning back then. Now listen, the grief hurts, friends, and the loss is real, but that doesn't take away from the fact that God is in this very moment, in your grief and loss, still worthy to be praised. This is Godward and God-centered grief. Oh, we can learn much from Job, can't we? Look what he says in verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He doesn't say that God gave and the devil took away. But the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. So everything we have ultimately comes to us from the generosity of the Heavenly Father. And everything we lose is taken away from us by the same Heavenly Father. God directs it all. He has purposes for your losses, friends, even if you feel like you're drowning in sorrows. Now this might not sound comforting to you right now, especially if you're not connected to Job's God. If you aren't yet a friend of God, you may not be ready to trust Him during your troubles, 
griefs, and losses. So let me tell you about this God's heart. What is he like? Well, Scripture says he is a compassionate father, slow to anger and full of loyal love. He's all-powerful and merciful. He's always present and active everywhere in this world by His Holy Spirit. He loves the world so much that He sent His Son Jesus into the world to befriend you. And the way He befriends you is by laying His life down for you. Listen to these verses from John. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is the greatest most real friend of all. Tim Keller says, there are two features of real friendship, constancy and transparency. Real friends always let you in and they never let you down. By trusting in Jesus who laid down his life and rose again for you, you will become friends with the only person who will always let you in and never let you down. He is both constant and transparent. Are you friends with God? He keeps his friends close to his heart. Come to him. Trust him. Jesus died for you and rose again. Believe in him and you will be friends with him. And if you do become friends with God by receiving his love with your heart, you can claim the promise of Romans 8.28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This verse sheds so much light on the life in the book of Job. God's heart is good. And so are his final purposes for his friends. So we can trust him. Though we can't see the whole, uh, the whole picture right now, we can trust him to hold us and love us and work out good purposes for us in our losses, pains, and griefs. We can trust that our God is up to something good. And the pains and evils and losses we're going through right now won't have the final word in our life. God is working on our character as he's working all things together to bring out good in the end for those who love God. Dear friends, God cares about your character so much more than you do. And he cares more about our character than our comforts. What are you suffering through right now? God may actually be using your suffering as a classroom for Christ-like character to grow in you. Doesn't that make you want to trust in this God again today? Watch as Job quietly trusts in him in verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin 
or charge God with wrongdoing. Even though we may lose everything in this life, nothing can make us sin. Even though we may lose everything in this life, nothing can make you sin. And even though terrible things may happen to us, we ought never to blame God with wrongdoing. God doesn't owe us a happy ending. He doesn't need to fulfill all our dreams or expectations in our life, nor does He need to make all our problems go away. If He does, that's a bonus, but He doesn't owe us. And here is where Scripture cuts us. Because too often we think God is supposed to fulfill all our dreams and our goals for our life. And if He doesn't, Unlike Job in verse 22, we accuse God. And when we start thinking this way, we need to ask ourselves, Have I created a false God that will be my servant? Or am I a servant of the true God of the Bible? In Scripture, the Lord is the owner of everything, and the world revolves around Him, not us. Look at Job's perspective in verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here we get fresh insight to correct our entitlement problem. Job says, I came into the world with nothing, and I will leave the world with nothing. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. He doesn't owe me anything. Blessed be His name. God is the one who generously gives us all things, whether it's our life itself, the good things we enjoy, or the people we're in relationships with. But God owns everything, and you need to remember that. And I need to remember that. And he has the right to take it all away as well. Nothing is truly ours. Everything belongs to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. At our house, we've been trying to teach this idea to our kids. We've told our kids many times that God is a God who gives and shares with us. So nothing we have really truly belongs to us. And I'm sure you can imagine how this teaching has boomeranged on us a couple times. Sometimes I'll say, this is mommy and daddy's house, or this is mommy and daddy's food. And then without any pause, my children will rush to remind me, no daddy, it's actually not your house, it's God's house. It's actually not your food, it's God's food. And while the correction stings in the moment, I'm glad my children correct my faulty theology. Because it's true about everything we have or lose that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When it comes to our friendship with God, friends, I love what Joel Beakey says. He says, remember, God is always better to us than we are to him. Let that sink in. But that's not the end of Job's suffering. There's still one thing he has. He has his health. For now. Look at the second hidden conversation in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. 
Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Then there, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, and although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Uh, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Satan implies that Job's integrity is only hanging by a thread. And that's because Job's enjoying good health. Satan says basically, Let's see when he loses his health. Then he'll curse you to your face. He'll turn his back on you. So the Lord lets Satan mess with Job's physical well-being. But Satan is still under orders from God. God tells him not to kill him, but to spare his life in verse 6. And this, once again, is a test for his friendship with God. Next we see the friendship tested again. Job's loss of health. Look at verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Job is experiencing loss and suffering of a dark and lonely kind. He's losing everything. And if you read into chapter 3, you see he almost loses his sanity and his will to live. As Thomas Watson says, Job was a spectacle of misery. He lost all that he ever had. He abounded only in boils and ulcers. This was sad, but it wrought or turned for his good. His grace was proved and improved. And this is exactly what we must glean from this man. He was a friend of God. God held him close and he held on to God even when he lost everything. Watch now, his friendship is proven. He shows integrity in verses 9 through 10. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Suffering brings us to a crossroad, doesn't it? We can face it with integrity, and God may enlarge our heart for him and others, or we can face it by cursing God, which will shrivel up our souls and grow bitter roots in our hearts. Suffering uncovers our hearts in many ways. But suffering cannot make us sin. 
When we sin or curse God in our hearts, we choose to do so. The devil didn't make us do it. And the devil couldn't make Job do anything he didn't want to do himself. So in verse 10, we see Job passes the test of uh, genuine friendship with God. He says, Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job knows who he has believed. His God is good and he trusts him and he's holding on to him. He trusts him with the good things and the evil things that he sends. Though Job's heart was not sinless, his lips would not sin against his God. Satan's implications would be proven a lie. Job is genuine and he passes the test. Now we finish by observing Job's true friends. Look at verse 11 through 13. Now when Job's three friends heard of this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Beldad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. In his grief, he was not himself. And Job suffered so badly that his friends could hardly recognize him. But as verse 11 says, his friends wanted to comfort him and show him sympathy even in this loss and grief. Here, his friends are showing us the very first ever grief share. They're sharing in his grief, his loss. And in verse 12, you see that they actually cared enough about Job to mourn with him and patiently sat with him for seven years days. Now, I know Job's friends have a bad rap, but do you have friends that will do that for you? Sit with you in your sorrows and grief for seven days? Better yet, are you a friend that does that for others? Job's friends were not perfect men, but I'm sure on these seven days, Job was glad he had his friends with him. And if you go to the end of the book, when Job recovers his life, or when Job recovers and his life is restored, there you see his friends with him again. And I'm sure he was glad they were there as well. Look at what verse, look at what chapter 42 says about the Friends, what are they doing? Showing sympathy and comforting him. Listen to verse 42, verse 11. It says, Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before. 
and I assume that that includes his friends, because they had known him before. And they ate with him in his house, and they showed him sympathy, and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. These friends wanted to comfort him when the pain sunk in, and that is admirable. But, we know these friends weren't always the best guys to have around. In fact, God gets angry with them at the end of the book in chapter 42 because they didn't speak the truth about the Lord. But let me ask you, have you ever said something off about the Lord? Yeah, I think I have too. Is your counsel always perfect and complete? No, I don't think mine is either. But Job's three friends were there to show him sympathy and comfort. But um, I think we need to, uh, sorry, Job's three friends weren't perfect just like we're not perfect. And though Job truly was a friend of God, Job wasn't a perfect friend to God either. And I'm so glad that Christianity is not based on how we perform as friends of God or friends of others. Christianity is based on the friend who sticks closer than a brother, Jesus Christ. And we didn't do anything to deserve his friendship, but he calls us his friends, and that's what we are by his amazing grace. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to challenge us into closer friendship with you, to bring others into close friendship with you, and Lord, that we would be friends to others in a way that honors you. Lord, in our sorrows and losses and griefs and pains and troubles, please, we pray, empower us to praise you even still. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.